Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 9, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page one, starting Bill's story today, chapter one. The reference number for yesterday, for Wednesday, August 8, is 2824. That's 2824. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Beverly B. to please read the OA 12 Steps. Yes, good morning to all. My name is Beverly, and I am a compulsive overeater. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Beverly. I'd now like to ask Margaret H. to read the OA 12 tradition. Good morning. This is Margaret H., compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Bill's story, chapter 1, on page 1. And today I would like to ask Rick to start us out. Morning, Rick. Good morning, Rick, Compulsive Overeater. Chapter 1, Bill's Story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned and were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudice of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Well, Bill is doing a little reminiscing. Uh, he's going back to his early, early days 
of drinking. And um, the line that catches me where he says, I was part of life at last. Alcohol was a big deal. Bill was finding comfort. And um, even with the love and the applause and everything that was going on during the war, the alcohol was uh, a very, very big part of what was going on. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? Esther? Good morning, Esther. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. So in this chapter, Bill's going to outline for us how his disease, the you know, the progression of the disease and, and where it took him. So this is this paragraph reminds me of the beginning of my disease where eating was fun. Eating compulsively was fun and that and it was all about what food used to do for me at the beginning of my um career of compulsive overeating when I was a very small child. Um and there was a lot um a lot of what Bill describes here, love, applause, moments sublime, a lot of um excitement and action and um you know, sort of romancing of, of the liquor. And I remember that as well with the food. The food was something that helped moments be better, helped me get over the difficult moments and helped partying be, you know, that much more fun and uh, sort of relax me in social situations. And, and um, as it was said, I think, uh, in this meeting just last week, this is the part stage of the disease where the shackles of, compulsive overeating were just too soft to be felt. Certainly I was not aware of what was going on at the time, and it looks like here for Bill also that alcohol was just something that helped him at this time. He didn't realize what was was yet to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Ilana I would like to share. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Ilana, compulsive overeater. Um, little story when the line that really hit me like a ton of bricks was uh, the loneliness turning to food because of loneliness and for me that was really where my compulsive overeating started out yes there was a time when food was exciting um, especially you know it was a kind of a reward if I went to a certain thing I didn't like to go to as a child. I got rewarded with food, and I remember driving in the car and eating this certain food item and kind of waving it around in the air so that people driving by in other cars would see me eating it and be, you know, jealous or something. Like, food was really always abnormal in my life. Um, that's just, you know, not normal behavior and other things I did. But when I really started using food, it was primarily because of loneliness, and it was kind of, um, you know, my mother went back to work full time. I moved, like various different factors happening in my life, and I turned to the food, and it was a source of comfort and solace, and for um, the loneliness, you know, trying to fill the place that other people used to take, and to this day. You know, when I'm feeling lonely, I think it's one of the first things that is triggered in my mind is food. 
and thank God for this program you know, that I can have a fellowship and pick up the phone and call. But that's the line that really hit me and felt the need to, to share today. Thank you. Thank you, Ilana. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Sarah. Can I share? Hi, Sarah. Go ahead. Wow. Bill's story. So relate. Um, so he says, here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And I see, you see here, and you see going through Bill's story, that what was Bill's real need, and this was my real need, was, was love, applause, um, recognition, being a part of life, connected to the world, connected to people, connect, you know, just moments sublime. This was his experience of sublime. But Bill didn't know, and I didn't know, how to experience emotions. From joy, so he drank when he was when it was hilarious and happy. So he experienced his emotions with liquor, and and I experienced you know going to my grandparents' house and and food was the expression of love. I so identify with this. He's expressing his emotions of love and connection and recognition and importance and joy with drinking, and I expressed it with food love and happiness and just a smorgasbord of of good feelings is expressed with food and then on the opposite end very lonely and experience pain and the lack of those those needs not being met and again turning to alcohol because he didn't have, he wasn't equipped and didn't know how to experience emotions in a God-centered way, and neither did I. It was a distraction. It was, I don't know how to experience life, so I'll experience and distract myself through my drug of choice. And, you know, for me, it was escape through food. Either total experience with food or total escape with food. And when just... You know, so this is where it's at in um, without you know in disease, and by putting down the food, and that's why you know we just finished with um, the doctor's opinion of it's not just about putting down the food. It's not just it's now I need to learn how to experience emotions, how to experience life without the escape. But Bill's not there yet, so he's just. Um, He's looking back on his life and he's recognizing and he's identifying what his real, like the real needs and what really brought him joy and what really brought him pain. Joy of love, applause, and, you know, part being part of life and on the flip side, loneliness isolation, and turning to alcohol. So this is good stuff. That I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? 
All right, we're going to move ahead. Hello? Hello? Hi, this is Sharon. I'd like to just share something real quick. Go ahead, Sharon. Okay, the the thing that um, really stood out to me when this was being read was that what Bill received from drinking is what I received from recovery. And he turned to the to the fall, to the fake high, to the fake, and it couldn't um, come through for him. It didn't come through for him. It just led him down uh, the trail to more and more misery and depravity. But in recovery, I've received that um, uh, escape from loneliness. I've received that exhilaration and love and moments sublime. Uh, and um, I just wanted to point that out. That and it's real, and it's not. It's not fleeting. It's solid. It's real. It's tangible. And uh, that's what we get when we go through this recovery. Uh, we we get to that point where we join life again. We find that community that support and um, uh, that fulfillment in life. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Yes, this is Janice, and I, I would like to comment on a couple things here in this paragraph. First of all, that I was part of life at last, at last. And that says to me that there was in Bill Wilson a place where he didn't quite feel like he fit. You know, he was part of life at last. You know, that kind of relief, that sigh that I used to get when I picked up the food, you know, that ah moment in the beginning, in the beginning. And also, I forgot the strong warnings and prejudices of my people concerning drink. So I forgot, I forgot the strong warnings, he says. You know, here, there was a doorway opening up here that alcohol was providing. Alcohol was providing that doorway in to a place where it was possible to set aside the prejudices and warnings that he'd heard before. I forgot, he said, I forgot that people had warned him that there could be consequences with alcohol use. And he went ahead anyway because it was opening a door for him. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read before we move on? All right, if Deb W. would please read for us. My pleasure. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Deb. I'm from Michigan. I am a recovering compulsive overeater. We landed in, in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a dog roll on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot, whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Twenty-two and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation? My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. Well, I love 
Bill's story, and I love how he's, again, looking back in hindsight and everything that he went through and um, just looking at the beginnings of um, his young life. And what stands out to me is um, the pride, the camaraderie, um, especially when you're talking about wartime and soldiers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and I I think about myself, you know, um, food was always such an acceptable thing. You know, you always had the potlucks, whether it was, you know, through school functions or church functions or whatever it may be. And it was, there's that huge camaraderie that um, went on during that. And, you know, a lot of slapping on the back and, oh, you're doing such a great job with such and so and, you know, just all that. It just totally, I can totally identify with that. Um, and right here where it says, um, I fancied myself a leader for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation. You know, it doesn't help that, you know, your ego is puffed up. <laughs> it didn't help for me when I would hear, um, I'd get accolades from people that I'd done a good job on something because all it did for me was just um, puff my ego and my pride up even more. But because I was in the food, I, I did not see it for what it was. And it just fed my my disease even more. And so I would just continually go to the food and, and think it was acceptable, you know. Um, so anyways, those are the things that stand out to me and how I can identify this morning. And um, I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Deb. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. It's Deb. Go ahead, Deb. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Janice. Um, good morning, a vision for you. My name is Deb. I am a compulsive overeater, and I know it. Um, I love that first part where he talks about, I was much moved, and I read the ominous warning, which I failed to heed, right? And I can think about the times, you know, so many times, you know, and I again, love Bill's story. Think about those times when I was much moved. I had a moment. I had a moment when I knew something in my life needed to change. Or I had a moment when I felt the presence of God. Or I had a moment. And then what did I do? I might have gotten a warning, which I failed to heed. I turned around and I walked away and I did it my own way. I love that Bill shares that with us, that he shares that we do have these moments. We have these moments where we need and we want God in our lives. We want something different in our lives. We desperately want something to change. We may even get a warning, but we fail to heed it. You know, we fail to pay attention to it. And we turn and we walk away, right? And what does he walk away to? Deb talked about that. You know, the the sense of self, the sense of self-importance, the sense that we can take care of ourselves. Um, And he talks about this later in his story. Love love that he exposes us to that and that he says, you know, you may have had these warnings too. Can you identify with that sense that there was a presence, that you're moved by something that you see that has to do with a power greater than yourself, wherever that comes from, from you. And yet, you, and you may get the warning. You may know something deep in your soul isn't right. And yet, you turn and walk away. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Yes, I would. This is Judith from Vermont. Good morning, Judith. Go ahead. Morning, Janice. Um, 
I I had a very similar experience to what Bill had um, when I was a college student, and I went to France, and I went to Notre Dame Cathedral, and I had this experience of hope, and it was delicious and wonderful and unexpected, and I had no idea what to do with it, um, and it went away. And for, oh, hmm, oh, well, until after college when God decided it was time to get in touch with me and to change my life. But um, it was, when I read this for the first time in the big book, I was just stunned. It was like, oh, my God, it's almost exactly what happened to me. And uh, and thank God the rest happened to me, too. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? It's Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Yes. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Just two points here. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. Um, you know, this speaks of the uh, idea in the big book that this is a self-imposed crisis, you know, that the problems are of our own making, um, that there are warnings along the way, and perhaps there are people trying to offer guidance. But uh, Bill and uh, alcoholics and compulsive overeaters, we, we live in a self-centered existence, you know, seeing things only from our perspective and anyone else's perspective is either wrong or irrelevant um, bill saw things through his own perspective only his perspective counted only his thoughts were correct only his motions were justified i mean that is that's the mind of an alcoholic that's the mind of a compulsive overeater only our own hurts are legitimate hurts only our own innocent actions should be interpreted as innocent um, you know life revolves around our thoughts, our moods, our feelings, our wishes, our opinions, uh, self-imposed crisis. So ominous warning, which I failed to heed, you know, uh, we're defiant. We resist. We are God. And that's exactly uh, what happened here uh, with Bill. He goes on to say, I fancied myself a leader. I imagined myself a leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation, my talent for leadership, I imagined. Again, we create, Bill is creating this fantasy revolving around himself. My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. Uh, you know, it's very clear here that um, this is, this is uh, selfishness, self-seeking, uh, self-centered existence building up through some fantasy, through some imagination. I mean, lo and behold, it's quite the delicious irony that uh, little could Bill imagine that this vast enterprise would turn out to be Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, it's very clear here, this grandiosity, this puffed ego, self-centered existence, this is, this is the making of an alcoholic. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. Esther, if you would read for us, please. I took a night law course 
and obtained employment as investigator for a surety company. Drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks, and I would tell her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. So <laughs> it's amusing to read this. It's clear that Phil was a, a talented gentleman, um, bright enough to you know, study certain subjects in in school, but well, one thing is clear is that there's nothing like um, the disease of alcoholism or compulsive eating to, to take someone's um, gifts from God and, and, and you know, turn them into failures. I mean, in the end, he did uh, um, complete the course that he was to take, that he had taken, but, um, but, you know, being you know, drunk at the finals, here's a person who, with a lot of abilities, um, but the drinking is interfering to such a point that he could lose it. He could lose what he has, and the truth is, is that we'll see down the road is that he'll, he'll continue to um, destroy everything that comes his way whenever um, fortune will come his way, whether in terms of success or, or money. Um, all that is going to be affected and, and ultimately destroyed by his his drinking, including his wife. His you know, wife was a gem of a, a woman, and we'll see later that his drinking affected their relationship. So here he is at the start of his life um, with many God-given gifts, and yet he is not going to be able to do anything with these as long as he's under the grips of the alcohol. And that is exactly how it was with me. There was uh, nothing on paper that would suggest you know, that I wouldn't be successful in many areas. But when I threw in the, you know, uh, disease of compulsive overeating, every area of my life became impossible, and certainly there was no success in any area. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. Good morning, Janice. It's Deb again. Thank you, Deb. Go ahead. Sure. My name is Deb. I am a compulsive overeater. And, you know, the drive for success was on. I proved to the world that I was important. You know, Bill, I love, if Bill writes this, and there's, there's so many places to be able to identify. I mean, that's the reason he's telling us his story, right? And he's telling us the state of mind that he was in sharing with us what was driving him, right? The drive for success was on. And how did he define that success? Right? I proved to the world that I was important. Um, you know, and again, the identification, you know, I get that. You know, the drive for success was on. I'm going to prove that I'm important. I didn't have a moment of belief with that within myself. But I was going to prove to everyone else that I was important. I had something to show. I am valued. I am good. I am successful. I can do these things, right? 
And what took me to my knees? Compulsive overeating. Right? I had my my drives were always about what you thought about me. What was the image that I was going to show you? I would show you. And you know, even you know, how does he do that? He even convinces his wife, or maybe he just convinces himself, you know, that you know, men of great thought have you know, they have their best thoughts when they're in their alcohol. <laughs> You know, the insanity that we'll go to. And he's just, he's showing us how this whole thing starts and what our motivations are and what our drives are. And he's giving you some examples from his own experience. And maybe those are some of the things that drove you. I cert- they certainly were some of the things that drove me. But there was one thing around which, there were many ways in which I was not successful. I was not successful in relationships. I was not successful in other things. But, you know, I had a goal in certain areas, and I was going to make it. And that should prove that I was successful. And that's what Bill's doing. He goes out and he collects degrees, and he does these things. I understand that. My name is Deb. I am a compulsive overheater. Bill's story is my story. Thank you, Deb. Well, I'd like to comment. This is Janice. I'd like to comment on a couple things that I see in this paragraph as well. You know, that I, 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 you know, it's all about the growth of the self-will here in this paragraph. I see Bill even admitting potential alcoholic that I was. Of course, he didn't see this at the time it was happening. He saw it later. I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Don't you think if that happened to you, you were too drunk to even think or write and you're at an important test that you'd say, boy, I'm not going to do that again. Boy, that was a bad, that was a bad idea. But no, but no, he couldn't. He couldn't think too hard about the consequences. He couldn't think too hard about the consequences. And though his drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. It disturbed her. Lois was already taking note and talking to Bill about it, and he had all the excuses and all the reasons and all the ways to reassure her, because in a way he was probably reassuring himself as well. And the grandiosity, you know, he's so good with words. You know, it wasn't just that I had good ideas when I was drinking. Majestic constructions of philosophic thought is what Bill said. You know, majestic constructions, their best projects. You know, the grandiosity of we compulsive overeaters, of, of the alcoholic, is, is being shown to us. The light's being shown on the progression of the thinking, the progression of the disease growing in Bill, growing in Bill. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, it's Rick. Go ahead, Rick. Rick, compulsive overeater. I love that term, potential alcoholic, that I was. And he's, he's talking about when the time, when that occurred, that he was. And when I think back about my eating, a uh, potential compulsive overeater, I didn't know anything about compulsive overeating when I was young, uh, when I was a kid, uh, stealing food, getting into the the cupboards and uh, doing all those crazy things I did with food. I was, I was a potential compulsive overeater. At the time, 
I didn't know that I was. Now, when I look back, yeah, I, I was a compulsive overeater when I was a young kid, um, just like Bill was probably an alcoholic at the time. But he's, um, he's letting us know the progressive nature of the illness. And that I love that word, potential. He had the potential. And as we'll read on in the book, um, the, the authors seem to say that many people can stop. Many people can temper their drinking and, and, and take it easy, just like some people were able to uh, put the halts on their eating, um, just like I thought. I always thought I could stop it with a diet and uh, it, it won't be so bad, and if I only lose this weight, then everything will be all right. So uh, uh, we, we can all look back at our own history and see the progressive nature of the illness. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Judith. Go ahead, Judith. Thank you, Janice. Judith, compulsive reader. Um, Bill had to convince Lois that the drinking was okay because the alcohol was his best friend. And he had to convince Lois that she was his best friend when the alcohol was his best friend. And we will go to any lengths to convince anyone, especially ourselves, um, that it's not, that we don't need it, that we don't need the food. Um, but I've watched myself and so many of us try to convince convince everybody that food was not, our, in fact, our best friend. We didn't know it was. We didn't realize it until... Um, until we got handed the information from from the program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Judith. Anyone else like to comment? This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you. We had long talks when I would still her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. Uh, this is, you know, the art of uh, justification. <laughs> we get very good at that. Certainly we see that in this story. Again, we are the architects of our own misery because we fabricate these stories and these fantasies uh, to justify and rationalize our behavior. Certainly uh, we see that in Bill's story. I absolutely see that in uh, my own compulsive overeating history, this, this art and this developing skill of justifying my behavior. You know, that, yeah, that was, pretty, uh, that was a pretty uh, bad binge last night, but it was because, um, <laughs> you know, I, I needed to... Uh, to seek some comfort last night, and to, today is going to be a better day. You know, and, uh, it's it's an illusion. It's an illusion. We we rationalize our behavior. We avoid people's uh, suggestions and guidance and concern. We evade those um, suggestions and and concerns of our loved ones, and and it's denial. You know, it's complete and utter defiance, denial, and delay of what is going on. It is illusion. And this is, this is what's happening with Bill here, that uh, he's building up 
a world of illusion. He has a mistaken view of reality. <laughs> he's, he's delusional right now. He is delusional, and that's what we do to justify our behavior. We are the creator of our own pain. That's why the big book says self-imposed crisis, and it is so true. People try to help out. Loved ones try to help out. Physicians perhaps try to point to our behavior, or loved ones, spouses, siblings, children, parents. We don't care. We know better. You know, we know better. We continue to worship our own thinking mind and our own ego, and we know better because we're God, and we are running the show, and we're going to run the show right into the ground, and that's exactly what happens in Bill's story. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? All right, we'll move forward to the next paragraph. Katie, would you read for us, please? Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive reader. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang, and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and management, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance, of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. So this is just another, you know, example of him just running on self-will run riot. You know, you don't like my plan? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. He is just determined to make himself into to what he has in, in his mind as as a a fine, decent person, and he he doesn't understand what we have learned in the doctor's opinion, which is that he um, has an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, and he can change everything he wants geographically and in his external life, but it's gonna it's gonna run its course. The alcohol is going to catch up with him, and. That's what it does to us. That's what it did to me. I kept thinking, if I could just find, you know, do what I wanted to do. I was a great cook, and I I just would look at, at, you know, magazines and recipes and just had this idea that I would lose my weight and I would be able to drink, or not drink, but eat small portions of fancy food. Well, of course, you know, that... (laughs) That can happen. I mean, that can happen. That cannot happen for someone like me. And uh, it couldn't happen for him. He, you know, he had to hit a bottom. And this is just showing us, you know, all the different things he tried to do to escape from himself, but he brought himself with him. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? This is Jeff. Go ahead. 
Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. Good morning, Janice and my fellows. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This is one of my favorite lines in this story. It says, out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn this flight like a boomerang and all the cut meter ribbons. You know, what is alloy? Alloy is a mixture. So out of this mixture of drink and speculation, and, and we're going to see this through Bill's story, his his drawl of business and money, that was what was so exciting to him. And every time he got a little bit of success, he went back to the liquor. He went back to the liquor. So what was that for us? You know, to me, you know, the, the combination of food and popularity, going out with friends and celebrating, the combination of, of food and celebration on holidays, food and acceptance, because everyone's looking forward to Kim's lasagna when she comes over. You know, that, that combination was exciting. Because I commenced to forge the weapon. So once again, we're recognizing that we are the architects of our own misery. You know, Bill is writing this in retrospect. He has recovered. I am sure this is not the story he would have told in the middle of his disease. It's only by looking back after being recovered, he's recognizing that he commenced, that we are the ones that are, are doing that. We're forging this weapon. You know, we, he talks about the time that the drink worked for him. You know, I, I, I always think I'm always chasing that time when I'm eight years old and I'm holding my daddy's hand on the Jersey Shore eating an ice cream cone. I keep thinking I can get back to that moment. But I have commenced this weapon that has now, it turned in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. You know, this alloy of drink and speculation, this alloy of food and celebration, it was so wonderful and I want to get back to it. But the progression of my, de- my disease got me in my bedroom alone, binging and binging and watching television with no one around me. That's not where I am today. But he's recognizing at one point it worked for him. He is the architect of his own misery and that it now has cut him to ribbons. And I know, you know, this stockbroker, war hero from the 1930s, I can so relate as a Jersey girl in 2012. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? I'm sorry, who is it? Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon. Okay. Um, the, this is Sharon. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And the thing that strikes me in uh, um, listening and reading about Bill and all of the gifts and talents that he had that he was uh, selfish and self-centered. He was thinking about himself, what he could get for himself. He really wasn't thinking about what he could offer to the world and, and um, uh, uh, how he could develop what he had to be of love and service, which is interesting enough. This is what we learn as we uh, work uh, the program. But what uh, what is of interest, I, I find, in these paragraphs where we see that here's a man with a lot of skill and talent. Uh, he became very successful, of course, only to tear it down uh, with alcohol. But what is interesting to me as a person who has recovered and who has gone through this process, who has um, destroyed my own life at one point with my own hand. And by the grace of God and the help of this program, I was given a new life, a new 
uh, existence, uh, a new way uh, to be of love and service, to connect with the world, to connect with people in a way that I never, ever could when I was trying to work life on my own terms. What was challenging to me in getting recovery is I had to let go of trying to do it all myself, of trying to get um, uh, for myself. And I had to, and it was really frightening for me to let go, to, so that term surrender, you know, what does that have to do with recovery? You know, why would I want to surrender? That's the thing. But uh-oh, there's that word defeat that we see, uh, uh, that we'll see later as we continue, that we have to admit complete defeat. And uh, we'll see that that's where Bill ends up at. But I want to not forget uh, something in, in these paragraphs, and that is that Bill was very successful before he got into recovery, before he admitted complete defeat. But what we will see is that these very same talents and gifts, natural gifts that he has, are going to be used in a great, great way. He, he thought he was a great leader, and so he was going to go and make that happen. And then we find that through surrender, God, his higher power, uh, makes that happen to our benefit, actually. And so for each of us, as we surrender, then our, who we are, our natural gifts and talents can come forth and be useful, can be used in the way that they were intended to be of love and service to others. So hold that in mind as we go forward. And as you're seeking your recovery, know that what you're letting go of, what Bill had to let go of was misery, depravity, going his own way, failure, and letting go of those things. And if you haven't gotten to that bottom, believe me, if you're compulsive overeater, you will get to that bottom. But you don't have to go there because we're here to tell you that that's the end. And you can cut it off now and you can uh, accept a program of recovery, you can recover, and, those, and you can see and you can watch what happens in your life and how who you are, your gifts and talents, will be able to come forward in a natural, beautiful way so that they can be of use to your fellows and you can be a part of a community, a part of life again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on what we've read? Uh, this is Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. Boy, what weapons being forged here? Denial, delusion, defiance, the weapons of the ways of thinking of the mental obsession. As we had mentioned earlier in the paragraph prior, this is the development of the mental obsession that goes along with the physical allergy of compulsive overeating and alcoholism. 
you know, he had deluded himself into thinking that there really wasn't a problem, that he just went ahead and pursued what the world says, more power, more wealth, more prestige, that he would be okay with himself, that life would be good, that all would be well, you know, and that his wife would be happy and everything would be good. So he goes out there to do that. And you're right, he was successful out there. He did, you know, he was successful. And yet did that bring him the contentment? You know, the peace of mind, the things that we are blessed with, with this program now. No, we had to go through that process. But those ways of thinking and those patterns of thinking, those instincts gone astray that it talks about in the 12 and 12, this is what's starting to happen here. And this way of acting and thinking, which is, I'll just try the next thing. I'm just going to go here. I'm just going to do this. It became all worse and more extreme as we move along and we read the progression of his alcoholism, that pattern of thinking that says to me, oh, no, this bite won't hurt me, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to go on a diet on Monday. I deluded myself into thinking, denying there was a problem, deluding myself into thinking that I could fix it, and then and, and defying it once I got started and saying, oh, well, the heck with it. I'm going to defy reality. I will be able to de- defy reality. The defiance of me, myself, and I becomes incredible as this disease progresses. You know, we live in a life of extremes. And by the grace of God in this program, we learn that there is another way. We become transformed. And instead of being this selfish, self-centered person, Bill becomes transformed to a a God-centered person and uses all those attributes to go ahead and move forward with AA. But we had to go through that process first, as does he, and as will be revealed through his story. Denial, delusion, defiance, those are the three main Ds of our mental obsession. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Well, I think, uh, is there anyone else who would like to comment on what, what was read? I think we'll stop here for today. So if Rick would please read a vision for you on page 164. Rick, compulsive overeater, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.